So we're going to start, this is lesson 26 tonight and 27. So we're going to start going over and we're going to read, first of all, the passage we're going to cover. So we'll have two lessons tonight and then we're going to finish with, we're going to finish with two lessons next week of which one will be a lesson and next week one will be a lesson and then the second part will be the summation of the entire book. So finishing the entire book. So we're at the final section. So we're going to read, uh, start off, it's the whole armour of God. We're going to read verses 10 through to 20 tonight. Um, so let's start in Ephesians 6. So it starts off, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. Verse 19, And also for me, that words may be given to me, and in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am to be an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So over the last few months, it's, uh, we've been looking and working through this wonderful letter that Paul brings and it's, uh, we've seen that it means what it means to be chosen and elected by God. We've seen what it means to be blessed and every spiritual blessing poured upon us in Christ Jesus. We've, now, we've seen how God has placed Christ over the head of all things and the church. We've witnessed the miracle of the division, dividing wall between the Jew and the Gentile being broken down and that hostility removed to make life for a new way, a new way of unity together and we've seen how we must live in unity live by putting away sinfulness from our midst live in how we live in our marriages how we live with our children how we live with in those days it was servants and slaves and stuff like that but how we live with people in general and our treatment of one another within the context of the home and Paul then brings us to this word in verse 10 finally and the word finally is not like getting to the end of a book or a long essay and breathing a sigh of relief because you've now managed to make it to the closing pages. It's not that kind of finally, as if he's breathed. <sighs> Thank goodness this is nearly over. He's saying not at all. He's here, what the Apostle Paul is saying is finally the very last thing you all need to know as you walk in the fruitfulness of your salvation in Christ and with one another is that you must look unto God every moment of every day for strength. His strength, not our own strength. 
The purpose and will of God in Christ has been revealed. The glorious calling has been explained. The mystery of the gospel has been unveiled. The life and the standards of the believer personally and to one another has been set forth. And now the final thing they must know surrounds the topic of spiritual conflict. This word means henceforth or from this day forth. So we could say after all of this you have now read, from today onwards until eternity comes, you must be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. To be strong in the Lord, in the Greek text, this phrase gives the meaning that we are now being strengthened with an increased strength. And where we receive strength to allow, to allow us to do things, to be enabled. It's a strength passed on to us. So it's not like something, uh, I work in the sport of athletics and we have to send athletes who are getting of a particular age, once they come out of childhood, and they're learning all the ABCs and fundamental movement skills that we'd say, okay, this athlete's shown signs, they're progressing well, so they're going to do two or three days at the track with certain types of works out, workouts, running or throwing, whatever their discipline is. And then we're going to ask them to maybe do a day or two as they start getting older and, and, and it's allowed, we'd say, let them go to the gym and work out and develop their muscles, right? So they're getting stronger across all parts of their body. This is not like a strength. Paul's not talking about a strength that we can muster up. He's not talking about a strength that if I go out running every day, I can't run anymore, but if I go out running every day, I could suddenly build up the strength to be strong in the Lord. He's not talking about a physical thing. He's not talking about something that is mustered up inside of me as much as I would love to be able to. It's a strength given to every believer. It's a strength because of our union with Christ Jesus. It's the strength is in Christ and it's for him to give unto us. It's his very being. He is strong. So he is strength. We get strength because he is strength and we're in him. If we're told to constantly be walking with the Lord, walking with the Spirit, walking in union with the Lord, walking also in power. It's not a one-off, but a constant strengthening. It's like a constant stream. If we're constantly walking with the Lord, then we'll constantly have his strength. If I constantly walk with the Lord, it's like other things, I'll constantly have his peace during times of trial. So without him, without Christ, without the Lord, we can do nothing now, it doesn't mean in the context that I can do nothing as in I can't pick up that vase or I can't do this. Or it's spiritually I can do nothing against the onslaught of the enemy. In John 15, verses 1 to 5, Tom covered a bit of that this morning, but John chapter 15. But John 15 this also says this in verses 1 to 5. It says, I am the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Uh, when I had me look out this, this morning to our back garden, a bit of six or seven weeks ago, uh, friends came over and when I'd hurt my foot, they came over with two lovely plants and it's little trees that have got lovely white kind of daisies on top of them. And, and the, the flowers were not fully budded yet, but 
Maura had just assumed that that was dead flower head, so she pruned and picked them all off, right, right, all the way down it, right? And uh, so we just thought, oh, well, that's it, what was on it, that's it, it's gone for the year, it'll come back next year. But look, looking out now, it's just a mass of white, beautiful flowers, and the deep pruning work had made it grow in strength. And it says here in verse 8, he prunes, verse 2, that it may bear more fruit. In verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. That word abide means, it's the same as in Acts, uh, when they're, they're about to jump the ship. And Peter's like, don't jump ship. Abide in the ship and you'll be safe and all those that jumped overboard didn't make it all those that stayed in the ship made it and he's saying that's the same with Christ when we stay when we try and jump overboard and run for the hills we're in our own strength and we will falter but when we're in his strength we abide we, it means to stick with so verse 4 abide in me and I in you as the branch can't be a fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me verse 5 I am the vine you're the branches I'm glad he cleared that up because sometimes we might think that we're the vine. He's the vine, we're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it's not him that's to bear fruit. It's us, we're the branches to bear fruit, not him. He is the life that makes the fruit come out of us and changes us. And in him, he that bears much fruit. And then he says the closing part of this, John 15, 25, verse, closing part of verse 5, he says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. So point, but so true. Absolutely nothing without him. And he goes on, so after saying, Be strong in the Lord, he says, And in the strength of his might. The word strength here means the power of his own strength. The strength we walk in is taken from his own strength but not in a way that weakens them. Now, I know that if, if, I, if I'm trying to push my car up a hill because it's broken down and I say, you know, Roddy, Tom, come and help me push this car. And you're pretty fresh and strength. By the time I'm tiring and it's not working, but when you come, it gives me some support for a wee bit longer. But then you begin to tire and the more we go, we're all getting tired. That's not like Christ's strength. Christ's strength is everlasting. It doesn't run out. He doesn't run out of it and say, hold on a minute, guys. You're all asking for strength just now. Can you all hold on a wee minute to go to the gym and get some more spiritual strength? He's got all strength because he is strength. It comes from him. This is unlike, eh, it's like the story of the woman. It's, like, it's unlike the story, sorry, of the woman with the issue of blood where she reached out to the crowd to touch the hem of his garment and he said he felt power go out from him. Right? It's not like that, that we're touching into Jesus and power. He's saying, oh, I felt something come out from me. What's happened? Did you suck something out of me here? Right? In a way, it's that we would um, think about power. If you think about power, like there's this big bank of power that's got a constant stream and it never, ever goes empty and it never runs dry, ever. That's Christ when it comes to strength, when it comes to our hope, when it comes to peace, when it comes to all of these things. So when we touch and become in union with Christ and get saved, the moment we enter union, we have now tapped into the resource that is strength. We can now call upon that strength constantly as long as we're remaining in fellowship with. 
So when we break fellowship with the Lord, we are then entering into what? Our own strength and trying to do it our own way. When we're in fellowship with the Lord, we're remaining in our trust is relying on him to provide the strength. And he says uh, in Luke 8, 40 to 48, uh, sorry, we think we read that over a bit. He says, it was uh, Ephesians 1, 19, sorry, 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the God the Father in the heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things unto the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all. The power we now have here comes from him, comes from the glorified Christ, from the all-conquering resurrected Christ. The power of strength comes from his eternal being. It's never ending. His power is limitless and it's uncontested. It's undefeated. No power or government can overcome it. No man can overcome it. Nothing can overcome his strength and his power. Paul reminds us to walk in the strength of Christ for we have been elevated in being seated with him where? At the right hand of the Father. We are now seated with Christ. So we are to receive and be endued with his power and be assured that whatever we face, we are seated with him in a position of strength, not of our own doing, but because he loves us and placed us there. Isaiah forty twenty six says this, Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, no one is missing. Our strength now is in the power of his strength being infused and through us for all of eternity. He goes on in verse 11. So he's saying, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And in verse 11 he says, now put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. This is where this passage kind of takes a turn and begins to get interesting. Paul, remember, is in chains. He's in captivity right now. He's in a Roman. He's most likely under what is called house arrest, where he's actually chained to a guard in some form. And, and he's bound to a Roman soldier. That's what meaning that kind of term would be to be under house arrest. And he was most probably likening uh, the spiritual armour he's about to talk about and we're about to see to the soldiers that he was looking at as well. And he's looking at their armour and he's seeing and he's referring it in reference to the soldiers of the Lord, the soldiers of Christ, the body of Christ. He'll have been pondering passages as he was well versed in. He would have been pondering passages, could have been reading things such as Isaiah and the Old Testament. Remember Paul's Bible was not the New Testament it was the Old Testament writings, right? Because he was writing the New Testament at the time, most of it, right? So his Bible doesn't what we have today, right? He was reading a lot of the Old Testament. And in Isaiah fifty nine seventeen, we see what he begins to talk about his armour, where he says in Isaiah, and it says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate 
and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. So right there and then, we know in the armour of God, we have the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. And this is actually a reference in Isaiah 59. As is frequently, we see Jesus spoke about it. Paul refers to Old Testament passages are mentioned right throughout the whole New Testament. He may also um, have been thinking about the writings of, there's, there's works called the Apocrypha, which is other writings that the authors of the Bible, when they were putting the Bible together, didn't feel were the inspired writings of God, but are still very useful to read or to see, and they present us with a lot of historical facts and very goodness. But in the wisdom of Solomon, not the Song of Solomon, but only books in the wisdom of Solomon, 570 to 20, Paul could have been also referring to this when it says this, eh, the Lord will take his zeal as his whole armour and will arm all creation to repel his enemies. He will put on righteousness as a breastplate and wear impartial justice as a helmet. He will take holiness as an invincible shield and sharpen stern wrath for a sword. And creation will join with him to fight against his frenzied foes. So again, references again back in that day that it was common to use armour in relation to something spiritual, something the Lord was doing. Just like we saw in Ephesians 1 that our blessings are not physical blessings as, we would, as would be the desire of those who would love to walk according to the flesh. We'd love things to be, everything spiritual to be physical. But they are in fact spiritual and in the same manner so is those things that we are now to be clothed in. Put on the whole armour of God. The first thing we must do is an action. This is that we must pick up the armour of God and spiritually put it on. Two questions arise from this statement. What is the armour of God? Well we're going to see that as we go through this passage but how can we spiritually then put it on? We can see from the latter part of this verse why would we put it on so that, and it's because it says so that we would be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we know the why we're putting on the armour of God. And it's uh, whatever it is. And if we clothe ourselves with it, we'll be able to stand against the works and schemes of the devil. Now notice it does not say that we're able to withstand as if we are always in the defensive. We're to put on uh, it doesn't say, he says, put on the whole army of God that you may be able to stand. So there's going to be a difference in two passages here. One verse is going to say, put it on to stand. And another thing, put it on to withstand. Right? And we'll see why in a little bit. The whole key is this to the armour of God, before we go further, is that the armour of God is always defensive. Never Offensive. And we'll explain that as we go through it. Too many Christians have fallen away and get themselves into so much trouble because they're always on the attack, trying to jump at the enemy in spiritual warfare and see it as some crazy thing that they go mad over and get out tearing down, try to tear down spiritual, so-called territorial spirits over an area and all these different things. And, and they're actually messing with demons who are way more powerful than they are. And the demons normally win because the Christians are so uneducated when they're out doing that stuff that they've got wrapped up in demonology and wrapped up in all things demonic and angelic that they've gone away so far away from the truth of the passage that they've missed God 
and they've missed the spirit. They're now under, they're seeking out everything and it's like, you know, I don't believe there's a demon in every, no, I don't believe there's a demon for every person. I believe there's five demons and I believe there's this and I believe there's that. And he gets so wrapped up, so consumed and all they can read about and all they can talk about is spiritual warfare, demons, angel visions, all of this kind of stuff. And they move away, not realising that they have been lured away from that which is the strength of Christ and the armour of God and what its purpose is. The armour of God is related to verse 1 in saying that we must be fully walking in the strength of his might and his power and then put on. To put on actually means exactly the same as what we saw in verse 1 in relation to strength. And we are to be clothed with it. It is given to us, the armour of God. In the sense that we are to... And here's the interesting phrase. In the Greek it actually talks about (laughs) you're sinking into it. So imagine that armor's there and you just get to sink into it and it just fits. You're sinking into it. There's a, there's a clothing of, God is clothing us with it. Sinking into your armor with our position in Christ that we sink into Christ and endued with strength and might and power. And here we're to sink into the armor of God. The whole armor of God, it says, put on the whole armor of God. The whole means full the full armour, we're to put it on, sink into the entire suit of armour, which includes a shield, a sword, lance, helmet, breastplates. Right? It's a whole amount of armour that God has given us. And although these are physical items that Paul refers it to, they are spiritually given to us and supplied to us for the purpose of providing the help required to overcome temptation and schemes and trickery of the devil. So we're asking the question, how can we spiritually put it on? When we are with the Lord, we spiritually can put it on because we are in the Lord. We have his strength and it is given unto us to then lift it on and put it on, wear it, clothe ourselves in it, sink into it. When we see, as we go through this text, what each thing actually is, you'll see how we can easily put these things on and why we should... It goes on and says that you put on the whole armour of God that, what, that you may be able to stand. Now, as we saw earlier, that what we are given is will be more than enough to overcome every temptation and attack that comes our way. For we must stand in our spiritual armour, being fully aware that the devil is the father of lies. And we are to stand up fully dressed and standing firm, taking an actual stance As it comes at us, we are to physically take a stance against it. We are not to go hunting for the devil to attack us. We're not to go hunting for demons or out in any demon vigilantes or something, this kind of thing. But we're literally to stand firm as it comes and tries to attack us and lure us away or preach falsehood or these things. We stand firm in the armour of God. And it's against, you're able to stand what? Against the schemes of the devil. Now this will not be the first time in this passage that Paul will reference the work of the devil. He'll he'll mention it a few times throughout this passage. For it's indeed not a work of man that we're fighting against. This is so important that we realise that. And that we must always at every moment remind ourselves of this key element to our spiritual walk with God. Satan is behind these evil schemes. 
Not man. He's using trickery. He's using impure methods and plotting that comes at us from every side that would try to entice us into sinning against God through temptations. Or he will present to us things that look good on the outside but are truly rotten to the core on the inside. Paul's not referencing the things we often hear people uh, try to bring into this passage, such as spiritual warfare or attacking of territorial spirits or physical sickness or disease. Here, this is not what he's referencing. He's speaking of the schemes of Satan, that the, what Satan uses to lure us away from God. The things that lead us into sinning by succumbing to temptation, or he leads us away by causing doubt of our salvation. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough to be saved. Well, you're right, you're not. That's why God saved you. Because you needed it, because you're not worthy enough. He saved you, right? And so the devil tries to bring doubt in. He tries to doubt your salvation. He tries to doubt your ability to do anything. He tries to remind you, what, of your sin previously? He tries to remind you of all the things you ever did wrong as a child or all the way growing up so that you feel so negative and so poor. This is what the armour of God is to defend against. We have to stand further against those doubts, those things that would tempt us to sin. Let us go up into this place with this person and rob their house. Let's not. Right? It's like resist those temptations to do these things. Without the armour of God, it's absolutely true that the believer will be deceived and defeated by the devil's schemes. He is not a novice adversary. Please know that. The devil is not a novice it's not some guy that's just, you know, some spirit that's just, oh, I'm going to try and trick the church today. It's my first time trying this. Let's see how that goes. He's been at this for thousands of years. He's an expert in trickery and schemes and deceitfulness. He has been at that for so long. So let's not underestimate how he can trick even the elect of God. How he can trick us all and deceive us all. And we can go off down tangents eh? I remember years ago of a, a brother that was talking to a, a pastor and he'd said, I think it was the pastor's brother actually, and he said, he just said this picture of the pastor was so going for the Lord. He was really, you know, doing great for the Lord. And, and every now and then the pastor would like, look over in this direction and suddenly the centre was over here, the church of Christ was over here and this pastor just got further and further and further. He was going down this path and he just felt he needed someone to come along every now and then and bang him in the side of the head to knock his head back straight again. And say, this is the focus. Jesus is the center. Not this. Not this over here. Not this over here. Not this latest fad. Not this thing. Not that thing. But Christ is the center. He's the thing we focus on all the time. And if we keep our focus on Christ, then we have far less chance. And we wear the armor of God and walk in the strength. Then we are. Not that we might, but we are able. We're enabled to stand against these things that try and tempt us and pull us away. And he goes on in verse 12 to say this. For we, you'll know this so well, everybody, every Christian that's been any Christian for any length of time will have heard this passage a million times. And he'll say, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Every time you read that bit, this present darkness, I think of Frank Peretti's book series, you know, way back in... It's, um, but we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We could have stopped at wrestle and I would have been happy. I love wrestling. I love watching it. I used to 
grew up watching, you know, all my life, big daddies were on the younger ones, giant haystacks, and then it would turned into this modern day wrestling where it was Hulk Hogan and, you know, The Undertaker and The Rock and WWE wrestling, and I was a big fan of it, and it brought my, uh, you know, the Bible says train up your children the way that they should go, my kids, my oldest son, Kyle, was brought up in that way of wrestling. And um, I used to wrestle with Kyle all the time, and I've the fondest memories of every of Saturdays when I would get him and we'd drive into City Centre, into the Tron in Glasgow, and we'd go to Aeon Comics and uh, purchase the new latest WWE wrestling figures. And uh, we'd, I would, I, don't take out the box, that one's a limited edition one, you know. And it was like this. And I think at one point, um, before, well, I know he took it out of the box anyway. I think he regrets that now because he's now in his mid twenties and he would love to be able to sell them all and make the money. It's, uh, <laughs> I think at one point he owned almost 150 different wrestlers, including t- the Titantrons, the staging, the different lots of different things, and and he lovingly gave it all away to a young boy in the church who was wrestling daft many years ago. It was it was brought to bring joy to someone else. But he Kyle, we used to wrestle together on the floor, and he had his own finishing move and called the spinning butt drop would you believe and he used to stand on the edge of the couch and he'd beat me down to the ground and I'd be like oh and he would stand on the top of the couch and he would jump up spin in the air and land on me on his bottom onto my back and I'd be like, oh, you know I think that's probably why I've got so many back problems today but I realised that as I realised at one point as he got older that uh, this would need to stop at one point because he was getting heavier and bigger and stronger than me and he began to beat me up you know so it began to hurt more than have be fun and uh, we used to play and have it, you know, we'd, we'd literally with the belts, the WD belts, and he used to beat me to win these belts, and we'd wrestle. it was lots of fun. But this type of wrestling that Paul is talking about is not the WWE. It's not wrestling, wrestling. It's not taking part in a Royal Rumble. Neither are we in a serious fist fight or any physical contact with a person or another individual at any point in our lives. In fact, nowhere in this passage is the very idea of battling a human ever mentioned or hinted at. In other translations, it uses the word for we wrestle, but in other translations it may say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Which means the struggles we have are with who? If it's not flesh and blood, then it's with the devil. It's with the spiritual forces of wickedness and his schemes as he tries every method possible. To stop us overcoming. These struggles or our wrestling is in direct relationship to those temptations, deceits and evil schemes that he brings. And we're never to blame such things on actual people and take it out on people. The general struggles we may have with people where we disagree over a particular issue or where someone is just frustrating us. These types of person to person struggles is not what he's speaking about here. If we think Paul's references here, to, if you think it is, he's talking about armour, he's thinking about soldiers, etc. And the soldier of that day would have been equipped in close hand-to-hand combat. They were trained in that particular way. They would wrestle to work and to learn how to fight better, how to attack. So there was close combat involved. So is our struggle with the devil, with evil, with doubt, with deceitfulness, with falsehood. We are struggling. It's sometimes we can see it from afar off. We can see that struggle coming. And say, oh, you know, and, and other times it's right in our face. And we've got to deal with it. And we've got to wrestle with it. We've got to stand firm. This is a wrestling of a spiritual nature. It's a serious thing that must not be overlooked and brushed aside. 
And then he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers. Now, this is where Paul begins to tell us exactly what we must stand against. The word against, for this, against rulers, the word against means to press against something. So that in the next phrase, he speaks of the first thing we must spiritually press against, stand against as it comes at us. And that is rulers. Rulers are actually referred to by Paul as angels. And demons who have been given dominion, authority and power in the order of things. Now we know that God commands his angels over us. So it's not them that we're fighting. Right? But it's those angelic beings under the influence of Satan. They are called demons. They have been given assignment and the authority by the devil to carry out their work against the believer. Right, that's the, that's the rule. So our peace comes in this war because we lean on the strength of Christ. We slide into the armour prepared for us and we stand firm. For it is in him and through him that we overcome and we can claim victory. Not because we have mystical powers, but because through him we can walk right into the battle knowing that he has already won. And that if we are in him, we will overcome and we will also win. He has already through his death and resurrection won the battle. And he's won the fight. And now has given us the same power to overcome all of these spiritual, you could say, wrestling matches or struggles that we will come up against. All things are now under his rule. Therefore we stand in him and all things see him and bow the knee. All things that see him bow the knee. Every demon bows the knee. Every name and every, and the, every person will bow the knee to him. It says in Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And in Romans 8.38, 39, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. When we're in Christ Jesus. And he goes on in Colossians, eh, sorry, Corinthians 15, 24, he says, they then comes to the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Christ is the overcomer. And we, when we are in him and we stand firm with that truth, that peace, that strength, we can resist that. We can walk right into to the fight against demonic forces and have no fear or doubt when these things come at us because he has gone before us. And shown us that if we are in his strength, including his armour, the result is always in our favour. With his strength, with his armour, the result is in our favour of that outcome. And we stand against the rulers, he says, and we stand against the authorities. And that is, here we have another name used, but the same meaning it is the plurality of the devil and his demons. Other names for them would be the prince of, for Satan would be the prince of this age, lord of the world, rulers of darkness. These are frequent references to Satan and his works. But these authorities is the plurality of demons. These work, their works can be seen in where the blind men from seeing, the, the blind people from seeing the truth the, the, of the gospel through their evil schemes, their forces of darkness, and that they make a man blind to the divine things of God. 
and to the unity of the relationship between fellow men that Paul speaks about. Their role is to cause disunity and disrupt harmony by bringing seeds of immorality, ungodliness, which ultimately leads a sinner to misery. And 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Yet we know that when we, that when we now preach the gospel under the power of the Spirit, as he wills, that he overcomes that blindness. It's a work of him. He, the overcomer, can overcome the blindness and removes the blockage so that the individual is suddenly faced with the convicting power of God and can be led unto repentance. And he goes on then and he says, our authorities, and he says, are now against the cosmic powers of, over this present darkness. The darkness we speak of here was present always and still is to this day. It didn't suddenly just disappear. That's why I, I, I get so confused with people fighting territorial spirits or cosmic things. It's like, you know, I'm going to come against the spirit of, uh, you know, the Masonic or whatever. And they, they, they begin to tear it down in an area, right? That's that broken. What? It was there the next day. It was there the next day after that. It was there the next day after that. It's the influence of Satan doesn't just go away like that over a particular stronghold or an area. These are futile battles that we're fighting. The darkness we speak of here was present and always still is, meaning it is a constant battle we are in. It's a constant war to continue to bring the truth of Christ, fighting against immorality and sinfulness. The constant reminder here by the apostle is that we must not be fighting against actual people when addressing these things, but they are of a purely spiritual nature. They are cosmic, those things of a design that are unable to be seen by the human eye. If it is they who are at work in this present day and who blind man, who tempt the saints, who seek to pull all people into sin by the methods of deceitfulness using trickery. And he says against the spiritual forces of evil. He talks about next... Here Paul further emphasises exactly who he is referring to. These spiritual forces are beings that are higher than man, but completely inferior to God. This is the absolute main reason that we must first always be in the strength of Christ. Wearing the full, not the partial armour, but the full armour of God. Because if we step into a battle without any part of it, we are weakened and we will suffer greatly. Which soldier goes into a battlefield without their armour? What soldier goes into the battlefield and forgot his helmet or forgot his sword? He's in trouble. Only those who are full of themselves and think that they can do it in their own strength do things like that. And their outcome is normally defeat. They are, there are forces of depravity, these spiritual forces of evil. They are of depravity, of iniquity, of wickedness, malice, such as their work that when they through the minds of the blinded, they will fulfill their purposes through those that are blinding and achieve their goals. And uh, in Romans 1, 8, 18 to 31, I encourage you to go and read that and you will see what happens when people are given over, given over to spiritual wickedness. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed in them against all ungodliness, unrighteousness, uh, who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been perceived ever since the creation and they are without excuse 
but they'd given themselves over to immorality, for false images, sexual immorality, the lusts of their heart, impurities, dishonouring of their bodies among themselves. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. It goes on and talks about more in Romans 8, Romans 1, 18 to 31. I encourage you to read that. That's the life of people who are given over to spiritual wickedness. This is the picture of all of humanity given over to their own sinfulness and deceitfulness where the full workings of wickedness are left to run riot. This is the picture of man without Christ. This is the picture of man who in the first instance in the story of Adam and Eve sinned and took upon themselves to seek for themselves pleasure that was offered to them through trickery and deceitfulness. And although we do not wrestle physically with flesh and blood, they have become the hosts of spiritual wickedness. And we must spiritually fight against their words and their practices that would try and influence us. Because so many people we come against, this would be the practice. 